You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 149. Let's get to the show. Hello, my friends. You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery and have been going from sobriety to recovery for five years as of today. Hit the music, DJ. What is going on? I think I'm only allowed to play about six seconds of that song so I don't get flagged. (laughs) Told I need to pay royalties. So that's all I get to play for you. I hope it wasn't more than six seconds. I will go and edit that and cut it down if it is. (laughs) I would love nothing more than to just play nothing but an hour of music of just happy, happy, happy jams. Because I have been tearing through some estate of trance year-end mixes going back four or five years over the last week or so, just preparing myself for my five-year soberversary for this episode, for bringing this to you all. I have to say, uh, first and foremost, just what a glorious day it is to be alive. Every day is truly the best day of my life because I wake up sober. I do not say that in jest. I do not say it lightly. I swear on everything holy and sacred by the powers that be that my worst day sober is better than any of my days wasted. And if I ever find myself just spiraling down into the abyss of of negative stinking thinking, as one of my tribal members would say, I just remind myself that I shouldn't even be alive. So every one of these days is blessed. Hell, two May 9ths ago, I smashed my face on the bottom of the ocean so hard that it compressed my five, six, seven vertebrae. And according to the doctors, it was like getting hit head on by a car going 35 miles an hour. And this wasn't hit head on like I was in another car. It was like if a car literally smashed into my face going 35 miles an hour. And I came out of that, blessed be, uh, with some nerve damage and some issues that have since healed themselves, but blessed be that I'm not a quadriplegic blowing into a straw to move my wheelchair or talking through a computer voice. So, hell, even sobriety... in the face of being a quadriplegic for the rest of my life seems like a breeze. So what are we going to discuss today? Uh, For those members of the tribe, I have forewarned you that strap in, my friends, because this is going to be a long one. You're going to want to listen to this one in sections. I can go 30, 45 minutes on a topic without it being a special occasion. What do you think I can do on my five-year soberversary? couple uh, things I absolutely want to mention at the very beginning of this show. I have been going to celebrate recovery intermittently, not every single Thursday when they hold it. Uh, it's more when it fits into my schedule, and, and I do enjoy it. And today I, I, they went over some really cool stuff, and I'll share it with you in this episode, or it'll be a future one. It, it, it will come out here and there, uh, but more to the point, today was the very first day I ever attended a meeting where they were handing out chips, and I had a reason to celebrate. First of all, they don't hand out chips at Kaiser Permanente. 
Um, second of all, I didn't go to AA at any stage in this. Um, Refuge Recovery does not hand out chips. So this is the first time I've been going to meetings where they actually do that, where they actually hand out medallions and chips. And they do it on the second Thursday of every month. And it just so happened, lucky be me, that the second Thursday of this month is my five-year soberversary. So not only did I get to go to the meeting tonight and get my very first chip in person, it got to be on my actual day. And it was super gratifying to be able to raise my hand and go up there and get the five-year chip. It's metal. It's like it's super cool. I'll take a picture of it and post it on my Instagram. Uh, just super cool that this is happening. Just to go up there and, you know, and you know, the applause just to stand in front of them and just wave and, you know, throw up some kisses and my little peace sign thing I do. And it just, they, they do this thing where it's Yahweh. Um, maybe I missed that part where they explained why they say Yahweh, but it, it looks a lot like yeehaw on the screen, but <laughs> they pronounce it Yahweh. Uh, I'm from the country, so it definitely, definitely looks like yeehaw to me. Um, it's beautiful. And, you know, even though I, you know, I'm not a devoutly religious person, um, I do enjoy hearing their perspective on how they've used uh, religion and, and the power of Christ as their as their anchor, as their centerpiece for their addiction recovery. And as we've discussed, um, ad infinitum, ad infinitum, ad Anyways, it's 11.44 at night. We'll see if my brain can pull out all its smarty pants words at the exact moment that I want them. <laughs> but we've we've discussed to exhaustion, I know of that word, um, how this is not a religious-based show, that all modalities are accepted and encouraged here. Refuge Recovery, SMART, uh, Recovery Dharma, AA, NA, it doesn't matter. It, you, could, you, could, you could pray to football for all I care. As long as you're seeking a way out of the of the madness that is addiction, you don't have to be sober to be in the tribe. You don't have to be sober to listen to this show, right? Everyone comes to their conclusion on when enough is enough for themselves, and you can't be conjoled or forced into it. Um, not expect it to be of a longevity, at least. At some point, the fire will relinquish the court-ordered mandate to be sober or the, the partner in your life or the family member who demanded you will be sober will piss you off and you'll go back to the way that you had behaved previously. So sobriety is an internal motivation. I can inspire, certainly. And I talk a lot about how I inspire you to do things. Inspiration comes externally. Motivation comes internally. So I don't call myself a motivational speaker. I don't even call myself an inspirational speaker. Right? I do uh, like lifestyle architect, and I do like empowerment architect. Um, but architectural speaker doesn't sounds like I might tell you about a uh, ninety degree angle in a skyscraper. And while I love my skyscraper analogy for sobriety and recovery and building things brick by brick, still not an architectural speaker. Um, when I look over the way this show has developed in the last three years, because I started it on New Year's Day of 2019, and I was very mindful, even though I wanted to start the podcast right out the gate, and we've discussed this in the past, where hindsight being 2020, I would love, had I set this 
podcast up the moment I got sober because it would have been super cool just to have been able to go back and listen to what that first week and second and third would have would have sounded like now from this perspective of somebody with 60 months under his belt. And the mindfulness, you know, and I think if you were to go search Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul, there are a couple episodes. I know I talk about day 500. I know I talk I know I I know I did an episode on that. And I and I keep Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul still posted out there cuz you can really hear the beginning way I started to talk about things and I talk about like Ukraine and and Serbia and and like internet trolls or something. I I mean, there was like 30 or 40 episodes. They were, to me, I just talked about things I found interesting and I find everything interesting. After a while, I realized that since I'm not Joe Rogan or Lewis Howes or some of these other popular people, no one's going to search for a show called Everything's Interesting by me. And so, (laughs) Um, I said, well, what am I the most interested in? And it was absolutely neuro-linguistic programming and how utilizing the power of the mind and the languages we use within our own mind um, that have been programming us for years, how by utilizing this information, we can actually go in and tinker with the way we experience our reality and, and shift it to a more desirable outcome. Right, Brooke Castillo introduced me to circumstances and events uh, triggering thoughts, trigger feelings, trigger actions, create results, and that all loops back to the original circumstance, and, and that you, you're constantly going into these feedback loops. Uh, Lewis Howes absolutely taught me about how to step into my masculinity in an untoxic way and how to be vulnerable and to actively listen to other people. Uh, what was that one? Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, that dude, he taught me that you, if you're not hustling, you're losing, right? He very much had that, um, that oh, goodness gracious, that Will Ferrell character who is the Talladega Nights driver, the shake and bake, right? If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk definitely drilled that into my head. Uh, James Swanwick introduced me to the 30-day no-alcohol challenge uh, well before I had ever thought about not drinking. And, and while I've since stopped listening to most of those people because I, I got their message, and I'm assuming that at some point you all will graduate from me. And, you know, uh, maybe you won't, too. I, I don't know. That's why I seek to keep these episodes fresh by bringing in all this new awesome information. And, and I repeat myself. Um, I swear that word is ad infinitum. But I don't know. I, I repeat myself a lot, specifically because I understand that the human brain's only going to recall and retain 10 to 15% of the information it hears the first time anyway. So why not just repeat myself to exhaustion? Um, and then eventually it, it seeps in. It sinks in. It, it, it takes root. You will water it on your own. I'll help you water it. I'll, 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 I'll introduce you to sunshine and nutrients, and you'll grow whatever you grow. And it's very much... The way Melissa, my therapist, has taken on our counsel together, where she will just repeat herself until finally I get it. And then I come to her and I'm like, oh my God, I just discovered this new way of, of thinking or feeling or acting or behaving. And, and look at my new awesome life I'm creating. And she'll just chuckle and be like, yep, we've been discussing that for nine months. And I'm like, I had a feeling. <laughs> uh, Jim Quick. Um, taught me that the brain has uh, the neuroplasticity of our brain is beyond compare and that um, there's nothing that is fixed within us, only our mindset around actually changing it. 
Carol Dweck and her book Mindset, it was it was groundbreaking for me. When I came across that book, it became the became the book I pedestaled for an entire year because I had just learned neuro linguistic programming. Um, I had been introduced to it in. Um, I think it was April of 2017, about three or four months into my sobriety and recovery journey. And uh, I went to South Florida, you know, paid an exorbitant amount of money to go down there and learn. And it wasn't only, it wasn't an NLP conference, but it was a leaderships of distinction conference. And we learned a lot of great stuff. And some of the stuff we learned had roots in neuro-linguistic programming. And when I asked um, it was Cynthia and Stephen who taught it to me. When I asked them about that, they were like, oh, yeah, it's NLP. I had previously researched um, grief counseling and grief therapy because I wanted to become a grief grief therapist to help other people heal over addiction and death in their family. And um, so I had come across NLP through my research on how to become a grief counselor. And then that was in like 2013. And so then they tell me about NLP in the spring of 2017, and it felt like kismet. It felt like it was fated that I was introduced to neuro-linguistic programming right at the beginning of my sobriety journey. So before I'd even begun to think of what addiction recovery could be like, um, I started to seek out a teacher for it. I accidentally hit the wrong button on my radio one day, getting ready to walk into the gym, and Matt Browning's voice is over there, and he's talking about NLP and how it helps people overcome grief and trauma and, and all of these negative emotions that we bottle up inside. And I was like, well, holy shnikes, this is the jam pony right here. And uh, I was like, I, I've got to be involved in this. And so I got on my phone and called up the station and paid the $250 for his package and his free ticket to his event. And uh, I went that October and... So this is probably around June or so. And I went that October, and it was about how to use NLP and learn NLP and be able to utilize it from stage to help spread your message of positivity or empowerment or growth, whatever it was. He was going to show you how to learn NLP and then utilize it from stage to become a masterful speaker. And uh, October 7th was the Saturday of that event, and that was when I decided that regardless of what he was charging, to learn this information from him, I was going to sign up and pay. Ultimately, it was like twenty thousand bucks, and because uh, I went for like the max deal, because the ten thousand wasn't enough. I remember thinking that ten thousand bucks for his mid program wasn't enough of a commitment. I needed to go all in. So <laughs> I literally spent an hour on the phone with Chase and Discover, getting them to to raise my limits so that I could pay <laughs> this money to him that day and get signed up because it was like another five grand if you didn't pay in full. So I was like, okay, okay, I got to give this dude as much money as possible today. So uh, I immediately sunk 20 G's into this and I've never looked back and I've loved every second of it. And so I learned NLP practitioner level that November, I believe. Yeah, November that I went, did master prac in February. And then I did a five-day influence mastery course where you learned how to take NLP and, and utilize it on stage to draw people in emotionally and mentally and, and spiritually to what we were saying so that they would be connected to the information and they, they would be able to access parts of their brain while they heard it that actually uplifted them. See, the whole idea behind my motivation with what I 
had planned on doing then, which I'm bringing to fruition now, was that I'd gone to seminars. I'd gone and done things before. And you get super hyped while you're there in the moment. They've got the music and the environment, and they're feeding all of your five senses while you're there. And everyone's super pumped up. And then you leave the event, and you go home, and you're out of that emotional state that they got you in. You're out of that environment that that you immerse yourself in. You get away from all of the people who are like-minded, who are seeking what you're seeking in their lives. You remove yourself so that you can no longer touch, taste, sight, sound, smell, any of it. And at some point, for some people it's days, other people it's weeks and then months, the feeling you had there dissipates to the point where it's almost like you just return back to your original state. You might be five seconds, sorry, five seconds, 5% higher than you had been previously, but it wasn't like you were when you were there, when you were super hyped and they got you to buy the program or you took all the notes and you said, this is going to be my new way of life and I'm going to obsess about this information. I'm going to absorb it all. I'm going to dive in. And then you get home and everything goes back to basically normal. I didn't, I didn't want that for what I was going to talk about. I didn't want that for what I was going to teach and train and coach upon. I wanted to learn how to bring to the audience action steps that would allow them to not just get pumped up while they were listening to me, learning from me, experiencing me, but how they could actually take steps in the moment and learn them in the moment so that each day they could continue to do them and step by step, they would actually begin to habituate this information and make it a way of life. This is, you're the result of that. For those of you who've listened to 149 episodes and can't wait for the next 149, you're the result of this steadfast determination to not just talk about cool shit, but also give you action steps that allow you to integrate this cool stuff into your life. What's the point otherwise? Right? We can watch a documentary on something really cool, right? but if it doesn't actually change our behavior doesn't change our mindset, then all it did was give us some information, but we didn't do anything with it. And and the point of a documentary generally is for people to, at very minimum, to care more. But hopefully you take action. I watch Seaspiracy. I don't eat seafood as much as I used to. Because I'm not cool with them dumping a bunch of nets at the bottom of the ocean and dragging them for miles and just destroying everything in its path along with snagging tons of things that they don't really want to catch in order to bring me tilapia to my table. I don't need tilapia that bad. I know. I get it. Sam is a superfood. There's other things too. There's plenty healthy people who live in the mountains who have no access to salmon. I'll figure it out. Right? That documentary changed my behaviors. That's powerful. That's what it wanted to do. And that's what I want to do. I want to help guide you to changing the behaviors you know you want to change. You're just not sure how to. It's not enough for me to talk about the cool things I'm doing in my life. It's of the utmost importance that I discuss with you how to do these things in your life. Otherwise, to me, I'm failing you. I'm bringing awesome information to the table, but no actionable steps, then I'm not taking care of my personal responsibility as a speaker, trainer, coach, author, podcaster, all of it wrapped up into one. It's like buying a refrigerator that looks super dope in your, in your kitchen, but it doesn't keep shit cold. Well, great. 
it looks super awesome. I'm really glad that I've got this shiny metal box in my kitchen taking up all this space, but it doesn't keep soda water cold. Then why did I even buy it? I don't want anyone to turn off one of my episodes and go, why did I even listen to that? Like I get, I go off on tons of sidebars and I squirrel around and I have my little tangents and my little soapboxes and there's definitely some episodes I look back on and I'm not so proud of or think I could have done better or I you know got a little too political or a little too you know a uh, little too in depth into something that maybe caused people to tune it out. I, I get it. Right? I'm human. I'm not going to go back and delete any of those. If somebody gets to a particular podcast and I somehow offend them, then they weren't listening to all the other podcasts that came before it. And they probably weren't going to listen to the ones that come after it either. When I think about the impact that I know this show is having, it doesn't feed pride. It doesn't feed ego. It creates within me a warmth of knowing that my intentions at the beginning are coming to fruition, are being met now based on my behaviors and actions. That I wanted to help. I wanted to show people that through the power of neuro-linguistic programming, you can go in, you can better understand how you create your reality through your five senses. You can understand how your brain deletes, distorts, and generalizes based on all of these experiences you've had in your life that, that have programmed your delete, distort, generalize uh, processes to do it the way that it does it. And how you have all these filters of time and space and memory and experiences and your metaprograms, which is your personality traits. And how all of these filters kick into your brain this internal representation, that, that this picture, this tiny movie you have that's made up of your feelings and, and of the way that you've touched things and of your sight and of the sound and of the way you talk to yourself in your head. All of these components, you know, kinesthetic, auditory, visual, olfactory, and gustatory, all five of these components along with your auditory digital, the way you talk to yourself, they combined to create this internal representation, which is just this internal picture you have or this tiny movie in your head. You add that in with your emotional state in the moment or the one that you're recalling from your past along with your current physiology or, the, or your physical body language you had in the past that you're now remembering. You take all of those things and you add them together and that gives you this external um, action and result in your life. And when you can understand this model, which is something I teach at the very beginning of my online course experience, when you can, when you can picture this in your head the way that I can, life never is the same again. Life is never the same again. And I didn't want my life to be the same ever again. There, there you know, I, I wrote today in one of my NLP forums that I'm in, is that I knew when I got sober that life wasn't going to be the same. I knew that it couldn't be the same, but I wasn't sure how I was going to accomplish the change. And so that's going to be a good segue after 23 minutes of sort of my uh, rambling nonsensicalness of a madman. I guess I gave you guys a pretty good review of how we got to this point. 
um, some of the more uh, meaningful people that I came across that have helped guide me here. And the whole while that I'm doing this episode, I'm sitting here, I got my show notes in front of me, and I'm just going to put this ram ramshackleness straight into the Podbean. So whatever app you're listening on, you can see how I created these notes over the course of the last couple weeks. But I'm sitting here, you know, just fidgeting with my Celebrate Recovery coin. And this is going to look super beautiful hanging from my rearview mirror of my car along with my one and three. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, and again, this is so much of this is just off the top of my head. Um, not what I'm getting ready to go through with the show notes is just going to be more of just. I'll take what I wrote and we'll let's just see where it goes. Let's just see where it goes. It's like a rolling of the dice. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know we wanted to roll the dice. So cool, whatever happens happens. Um, but I thought it was really cool just now about how I went through some of the people who started to shift my mindset before NLP even became a thing. And as I was writing in the forum, you know, today, and because uh, Aubrey, who leads this forum, um, she's a, one of the NLP peers of mine. We both took classes together, and, and she's just a guiding light and just absolutely phenomenal. This is what I wrote in this forum. Today, I am five years sober. 1,826 days of ebbs and flows, of toward and aways of growth-minded development and fixed-minded healing. On October 7, 2017, I made the decision to embrace NLP as my guiding light. What I experienced in Matt's influence event opened my mind to a perspective on life I had no knowledge existed. What I have created in the four years since then and in the five years of sobriety, and most importantly, in my years of actual recovery, still boggles my mind. I often credit NLP for being the instigator of my true healing in the beginning of my addiction recovery. In truth, NLP is words, ideas, philosophies, modalities, sequences, patterns, understandings, and so much more. It's what I've done with those things. It's the work I put in each and every day utilizing the practices of NLP. It's the practicing, the focus, the effort, the discipline, the flexibility, the tenacious drive within me. That's what's instigated this growth. Anyone can learn anything. I truly believe that. Not everyone embraces, applies, evaluates, and applies again and again and again until a desirable result is achieved. And then we set the bar higher and we seek that. You are all here because these desires within you created energy that you internally know must be experienced and manifested externally. The intention and Attention is what moves us forward. The fork in the road is NLP. Some go down a path where they vaguely remember some seminar where they learn something about creating their own reality or whatever. Others plant a marker in their life at the very moment NLP popped them out of the matrix. From that moment, they knew without hesitation nothing would ever be the same. 
if they built their life upon the foundations of NLP and its all-encompassing practices. And here we are, a beautiful day, a beautiful tribe, living life beautifully, knowing it's not perfection we we seek. Instead, it is progression toward our highest self. Through this energy, we manifest the world into the creation of endurance, relational bonds, and love. NLP is my lighthouse. It illuminates the shadows. Through it, not only through it, I not only see the rocks and the powerful surf. I just picture rocks and powerful surf right there. Little sidebar. I see the beautiful imperfections of the terrain around me, and I embrace everything I see, hear, and feel as the spectacular wholeness of the universe. I am blessed every day. Every day. Today just so happens to be a day when, five years ago, I chose not to die. Nothing has been the same since I knew it couldn't be. Sobriety and then NLP. It only changed everything. Bless you all. Here's to your own version of an all the way up life. And then I put my usual hearts with arrows and mountains at the end of it. And that's what I wrote in the group because that's how I was inspired to connect them to this journey today. For those of you who still wonder what NLP is, and there's certainly plenty of ways I could explain it, I won't get into that during this episode, but I will specifically let you know you have been learning it this entire time. If you are taking the things that I say and you're taking notes and you're implementing and you're evaluating and you're coming back and you're doing it over and over and over again, you are literally integrating neuro-linguistic programming into your life without even knowing it. So how, at this stage in the game, can I determine my success in this journey? This is something I asked the tribe during our session this week is, how do you determine your success? What is your convincer strategy around your growth? How are you letting yourself be and relax into not always doing something, but knowing that you're doing something toward where you're trying to go? See, there's a thing that can be challenging when we're seeking growth internally. Unlike external things like doing the dishes, there's a huge pile of dishes in the sink and now the dishes are done. That's external. You can see it, that there's a change there. One of my favorite things to do as a waiter was to take over the dish pit and clean it because I want to see how fast I could turn this chaotic mess of jumbleness into a clean dish pit and then get back out to my tables where they never knew anything had changed. That's obvious when you're doing external things like that, mowing the lawn, brushing your teeth or your hair. Like You can tell the differences there. You can feel the difference in your teeth when you've brushed them. But when you're doing internal work and you're seeking to uh, release trauma, 
when you're seeking to heal through past negative experiences. When you're doing these things, having a convincer strategy in place, letting yourself know, oh, I will know I've had a heartfelt conversation with my lover when we can look in each other's eyes without looking away for five seconds, or we can hold hands in public without um, feeling weird. I don't know. I don't know how many different hundreds of hypotheticals I could throw out here, but I think you get it because we're all on this internal journey. So how do you know within yourself? For me, because of what I've learned through NLP, I can feel the shifts. I can experience the hair standing up on the back of my neck or the the chills that I talk about I get when I know what I'm speaking is exactly what you need to be hearing in the moment. And there comes the chills. So what is your convincer strategy around your personal growth and development? Is it having a longing embrace with your lover and really feeling into that moment and being present, looking at them longingly in the eyes and and noticing how your heart warms and and your skin begins to to sort of vibrate. You can feel the blood rushing to your cheeks. When you know that you've healed through a childhood trauma, is it your ability to go and talk about that trauma with someone else who was involved in it and finding yourself not emotionally triggered the way that you used to be, but instead being able to discuss it from a more emotionally grounded space? What are you setting up as your convincer strategy that you're working through these things? While I could dive into that deeper, that would then we're going to be here for an hour and a half. Maybe I'll just push convincer strategy to one of the next episodes. Why it's important that we're discussing it now is because it's been important to me to understand here I am at five years. Did all that information I learned from all those mentors I brought up at the beginning of the show is all this money that I've sunk into this is this as at the very least, is it helping me grow and heal? Right. First and foremost, it was like, put the oxygen mask on myself. Once I was good to go, it was time to start helping other people put the oxygen mask on themselves. I've put out my fires. I've walked through that fire. Now I'm carrying buckets of water to you. My convincer strategy on that this show is helpful has been the hundreds of conversations I've got into with so many of you. Where we literally get on the phone and it's just it's it's happiness that I hear on the other end to be able to talk with me, to be able to share with me your experiences and in integrating this material and, and bringing it into fruition in your own life. I, I, I've heard from so many of you that I know that it's having an impact. That, that's a good, strong convincer strategy, especially because I'm putting this out for your benefit. My convincer strategy that I'm, uh, I'm moving forward in my ability to get this information out in a way where it can be easily understood by people of all walks of life is being contacted by so many people of walks of different walks of life. I don't necessarily need the external validation that, um, that I'm good at this podcasting and coaching stuff. Like I, I, I hear the way I talk about it. I, I get that there there is a level of uh, skill that I've grown toward in the last few years. But when you're doing something that is specifically for people outside yourself, getting their encouragement, getting your uh, applause, getting your pats on the back and saying, man, this is really helping me keep doing it. That's a convincer strategy. That's a really good place for 
external motivated um, positivity. So I bless all of you for being a part of this journey with me over the last three years. I can't wait to see what year, you know, six and seven and on and on and on are like. Blessed be for all of you that are here now that have listened to the good and the bad episodes and the tangent-filled ones and the ones where I over-teach or the ones where I ramble on or I cuss too much or I'm swirling too much. Shout out to, you know who I'm talking to right there. I use profanity and I squirrel around, and by goodness gracious, I'll do it more if you want it. <laughs> Honestly, I just try to make this show entertaining, too. If you're not laughing with me, at the very least, you can laugh at me. <laughs> so how are you pushing past your fears? How are you pushing past your fears? Think about that, and I'm going to take a quick pause and drink some soda water. Do you miss me? I know. You didn't even notice it. It was like no time passed at all for you. <laughs> so how do you push past your fears? When you think about a convincer strategy on your growth from sobriety to recovery, how are you pushing past your fears that you're not getting better, that you're not growing, or that I'm going to teach you something that perhaps you don't understand and you can't integrate, or perhaps you're going to be introduced to something in the external world that is beyond your current skill set, your knowledge, your information, your your skill level, your exploration of yourself, right? I mean, it's so hard to quantify that which is not tangible, to be held in our hands, right? To be actualized into something that can be seen outside of our minds and our computers. I love the fact that I wrote a book and, you know, you can see the book. You can go on Amazon and buy the book if you want to. You can replace all of the words that say college with sobriety and recovery and it absolutely works, Right? Does that book really accurately represent the thousands and thousands of hours I put into learning that material in order to summarize it in a way that would be um, easily to digest and to actualize into your actual life? Right? I can sit here and one of my tribal members writes a blog, um, another one makes music, right? If we only put this stuff out there in the computer world and then we close our computers and the internet goes down, it stops existing. But things always exist in us. And the power of sharing our message, of, of growing ourselves internally so that other people outside of us can, can, can experience it externally, that's how you can start to have that convincer strategy. If your kid used to run away from you when you walked into the house and now they run to you, that's a convincer strategy. When your partner used to argue with you relentlessly about things and now they stop and they actually listen and they smile at you and they laugh with you, that's a convincer strategy. One of the things I wrote here in the note is, a tree grows all the time, but if you see it every day, then do you even notice its growth? But if you walk away from that tree for a year and come back, you absolutely notice the growth in the tree. It's very hard for us to recognize our own growth because we see, each, our, we see ourselves each and every day. The people in our house see us every day. There's an old saying that you can't, you can't be a, a prophet in your own town. It had something to do with Jesus coming back to Jerusalem and people being like, isn't that the carpenter's son? What the hell are all those people following around him for? I mean, he literally like nails two by fours together or something. Right? They didn't realize who he had become when he left the town, and they weren't so ready to embrace this new version of himself. It can be difficult in your own house for them to see the changes. 
they had grown to this homeostasis with you when you were using, and now you're not. And now all of a sudden they've got to get used to the new you and they're not listening to this show. They're not embracing this topics the way you are. So they might still be living in the past where they're afraid you're going to go back to the way you were and you're living in the future where you're thinking about who you're, who you're going to become and how life will be better when they finally realize how different you've changed. And both of you are not living in the present. In the present is your convincer strategy. Because the past is what did happen, but who says it'll happen again, ever, or should, or shouldn't. And in the future, it's just a daydream. It's just what you hope will happen. And you're not sure if it will or won't, if it'll even remotely look like the way you've envisioned it in your mind. And do you even really want it to? Once you get there, it's like, oh, all of a sudden, this isn't, it's like wanting to go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a historical city. Historically smells like piss. Like, man, this the French Quarter is disgusting. It does not look like it does in the pictures. Yeah, it's called Photoshop. Going to Vegas was fun and all, but it was freaking freezing, Mr. Bigglesworth. And Mr. Ice Ice Baby didn't show up because he had some plane issues. But being there with who I was there with meant everything. And 40 degrees or not, shivering for six straight hours, having the countdown basically suck because the mayor of Las Vegas is a dingbat. Whatever. (laughs) I still had a blast because who I was there with because I chose to experience that moment as a blast. My convincer strategy that it was an amazing time was being able to yell Happy New Year and embrace the person I was there with, to be able to enjoy that moment for what it was, for the hard work that we had both put into being there together in that moment. That was my convincer strategy that everything was worth it, to be there for that one second. Even if all the seconds preceding it were difficult, it was worth all of them to have that moment. So are you giving yourself credit for what you're doing, for where you're going, for what you're accomplishing? I mean, where I was versus where I am versus where I'm going is remarkable. It's beyond compare. Sitting there in my bedroom on January 12th of 2017, I'm sitting there at the side of my bed and... um. I God, there was there were, I think I was watching Vikings at the time while simultaneously listening to trance and I had like the disco ball and everything going on in my room and I've got a bottle of Jack Daniels and a couple bottles of wine and a 12 pack of Stella and this is the same booze that I talk about having in my room for the first 6 weeks of my sobriety and recovery and I'm sitting there on the edge of the bed and I'm taking swills off of all three of these bottles sometimes at once sometimes separately and I'm just begging my body to hold this alcohol in it, in my stomach. And it won't. And it just regurgitates it. And I sit there and I do this on the side of my bed for close to like three hours. And this is after, if you've ever heard the, sh- the shit tub story, this is like after that. This is, this is like part, it's all part of the same like 24-hour cycle. But the shit tub thing had already started. And I'd already determined that I was going to quit drinking that night. But by the by God Almighty, I was going to make sure I blacked out and I couldn't. My body couldn't hold in the alcohol anymore. And it was vicious. God, it was so vicious. Fuck, man. 
God, it was so violent. Not violent like you might be picturing in your mind, but like somebody's fighting somebody else or like a mob is raging against a store. Or people are chasing other people. No, it's just, this is the kind of violence that you do to yourself in the, in, in the metaphorically darkness of your own room. Even though the disco ball was flashing with colors and the trance was playing loud and the Vikings were doing whatever Vikings do on the show, the darkness was coming from inside. Fuck, man. So dark. And even when I relinquished my the power and said, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I've got to, I've got to go and seek help outside of myself. Um, I knew that I knew long term the power to succeed in sobriety and recovery was going to come from within. And this is, trust me, guys, this is before I even had the idea from sobriety to recovery as a thought, let alone a show. Like, that was something my marketing director, Tina, helped me come up with. Uh, we were sitting around, and I was like, man, it's just like, sobriety is this act of not drinking. But it's not the same as addiction recovery. Addiction recovery is going inside and healing the traumas. So I'm trying to move myself, you know, from sobriety and, and get into addiction recovery. And it was back and forth, her and I, and finally from sobriety to recovery came from that conversation. And then she even whipped up a quick little uh, logo that you'll notice. It's the one I used for like the first 30 or 40 episodes of the show or whatever. It's the one with the gray background and like the teal writing on it. Um, Where am I going with this? Where I was versus where I am versus where I was where I'm going, so that's where I was, and it was dark. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. I know, I know. It could be it could have been the middle of the day in the middle of a desert, and the sun's beating down on you, and you know that darkness. Fuck, you know that darkness, and it's God, it's just, it's like the alien just trying to rip itself out of you, but yet simultaneously burrowing in deeper. It's it's like. This dichotomy of insanity and chaos, and it's like it's go watch the movie Natural Born Killers, and there's times where Oliver Stone just flashes all these different images through, and it's all happening so fast, and you're like, "Wow, this is demented." That's how it felt, and I used to eat for like a whole year. I ate a ton of acid to Natural Born Killers, so that movie's embedded pretty deep into my brain. Um. He used to snort a ton of coke too. Um, oh, oh, I can't remember it now. Freaking frick, frick, frick. Oh, it was a movie. It was really super sick. Requiem for a Dream. Oh, I used to dive deep into blow during that movie. So, of course, you're like, you, dude, you're a freaking weirdo. Who watches Requiem for a Dream on coke? And who the hell eats acid and watches Natural Born Killers? If you've seen either one of those movies, you know that those were not smart moves on my part. <laughs> but I did it. And that's where I was, right? And so now, where am I going? I have got amazing dreams and visions of uh, of taking that internal darkness, which I'm still healing through. There's still darkness inside of me. There's still um, deception. There's still there's still times where I lack integrity. There's still times where I'm not. Uh, I don't embrace humility. I'm not, I don't seek the curious, and instead I judge and, and and I don't seek to understand at a deeper, more vulnerable level. And I'm not grateful or thankful. There's still times because I'm human. It's part of the human experience and it's beautiful and it's and it's tragic and it's and it's traumatic and it's wreckage and it's also gorgeous and it's it's the sweet taste of an apricot on a summer day when it's just that right kind of juiciness right and you eat it in just the right kind of way where your hands aren't totally sticky 
right? It's, it's, it's those beautiful moments when the rain is done and off in the distance you see that rainbow and then it's a double rainbow and you're like, holy shit, there's some crazy Lucky Charms nonsense going on in front of me and this is dope as frick and I'm so blessed to be alive to see it. It's beautiful. And there's times when it's not. I watch a TV show called Yellowstone and in it there's a character named Jimmy who is, uh, he had some druggy problems and they brought him to the Yellowstone thing and they branded him and I'm not going to get into the whole show. If you watch it, then you already know it's one of the best shows on television and if you don't watch it, you should totally go watch it because I don't say this lightly, it is literally one of the best shows on television. And um, at the end of it, he's driving away with his fiance and his ex-girlfriend is parked on the side of the road and She's sad that he's leaving now with a new woman and she had her chance and they didn't make it happen and yada, yada, yada. The point, the point is that as he's driving past his ex-girlfriend with his fiance next to him, he looks over at, you know, and he has to look past his fiance to see his ex-girlfriend and she says to him that if you're having second thoughts, there's no better time than right now to discuss them. And he goes, no, just uh, guilt and regret. And I don't remember exactly what she said after that, but paraphrasing it was, you need to have these bad moments. You have to have these bad feelings in order to have a point of reference for the good. And I just got shivers when I said that, so I'm going to repeat it. You have to have the bad moments in order to have a point of reference for the good. If every single day is eating chocolate and riding roller coasters, then there's no point of reference for not riding roller coasters and eating chocolate. And eventually, that's just the norm. And as addicts, we, we, we skewed our bar. We skewed that sense of reference we had for joy. Because anytime we celebrated, it was with alcohol. And anytime we were sad, it was with booze. Anytime we were relaxed, it was with booze and drugs. And anytime we were stressed, it was with booze and drugs. We completely messed up our, our bar our reference point for happy and sad. So then when we get sober, all of a sudden we have this flood of emotions because we've been muting them so long. We built this dam up. And I just went and saw Hoover outside of Vegas. And it's like we built up this Hoover dam to hold back the trauma and the anger and the resentment and the shame and the guilt. And we did all of this stuff because we were just trying to protect ourselves, right? It was our medicine and then it became our poison. This dam was supposed to help us, and ultimately, it just backed us up. It constipated us with all of these emotions. And then we get sober, and all of a sudden, it's like we're releasing the valve. But we don't have control over the release mechanism on this. We don't even know what the release mechanism is going to be like. Hell, no matter how many times you listen to the, an episode I talk about this in this metaphorical sense, you don't really understand it till you feel it. It's like seeing a picture of a beautiful landscape in a book, but then actually going and seeing it. Yeah, you can see all the pictures you want about the Grand Canyon, but you don't understand its depth of majesty until you actually go see it. You don't understand how tall the Patronus Towers are until you stand at the foot of them and look up, and it seems like it goes on and on and on. You have to experience that flood, that anger, that rage to understand first that it's okay to feel this because we're human and it's okay not to be okay. And simultaneously, it's not okay to continue to not feel okay when you know within yourself there is the power to heal it. That's the personal responsibility that we speak about. 
that's something we're going to dive into a lot more as I as I really begin to work with it. I'm working right now with one of my tribal members, Kaylin, who's got an amazing podcast called The Dad Mind. And if y'all are parents out there and you want an NLP spin on this, I highly recommend The Dad Mind by uh, Kaylin Argent. He's over there creating that, and it's absolutely been fantastic to be a part of it. And so he and I are working our way through this Success Principles workbook, and the first chapter is taking personal responsibility. And in that personal responsibility, you want to be mindful of where you're blaming, complaining, or making excuses. And we're going to talk way more about that. But right now, I want to stick with the with this bar of reference. Right. If you have this anger, if you have these negative emotions and this release valve that you don't really even really know how to control, let alone where it is, this stuff's going to come flooding in. And that's part of the human existence. It's the beauty of us. And it's also that sort of, oh, my God, look away. It's hard. I'm, what's, what's the look, look away? I'm a monster that Kramer says to sign to Jerry Seinfeld and look away. I'm hideous, right? There's the times where we just want to look away. We're hideous. And there's other times where we just can't stop taking our eyes off of ourselves. Cause we're so, we have so much admiration for where we were versus where we are now. And where we're going is this dream existence that we can manifest. We can take massive action today, be decisive and take an action. What do you want to do today? And then just do not under any circumstances, let yourself fail the cravings, the the emotions, the thoughts, they go by, right? Picture this amazing, beautiful river and you're standing on the shore and here comes anger and sadness and jealousy and they can float by like a boat would. And then over here, not too far away is Niagara Falls and then whoosh, over the falls goes anger and resentment and jealousy and it's just gone. That's how fleeting thoughts and feelings are. That's how fleeting emotions can be if you let them. But if not, then all of a sudden you just you drag that boat with anger and you pull it up to shore and you you yank it up so that the water can't take it back in. And then you help anger get out of the boat and then you build it a fucking house. And next thing you know, it's it's living on your land and it's not paying rent and it's ruining your freaking life. And it's got there's cars jacked up on 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 on. Uh, bricks and mortar and it ticks off the tires and the next thing you know you got a meth house on the (laughs) shoreline (laughs) Uh, drinking was awesome until it sucked sobriety can suck until it's awesome we're all going to experience that differently where you're at in your present state versus where you're going to be at in your future state I don't know you're on the other side of this for me sobriety didn't suck because I was done. I didn't quit cold turkey on January 13th of 2017. I had tried countless times to cut back, to count my drinks, to monitor my intake, to, uh, you know, uh, work out for a month straight and then only let myself drink on Saturdays. Like I tried 50,000 ways to Sunday to be able to control this wild bucking Bronco in a China shop. And it was to no avail. So sobriety didn't suck for me right out the gate because I was excited to try this new thing. And honestly, 20 some odd days of binge drinking myself into blackouts. I mean, basically it had been all of December into halfway of January. By that point, I mean, shit, I, I barely, 
could hold down water for the first few days. My body didn't detox all the way out of that until damn near Valentine's Day. So I was going to have to go a month without drinking anyways just to get myself back to homeostasis. So that first 30 days where a lot of people are tempted to go back, I was just trying not to have a heart attack. I was still falling asleep, sweating my balls off and waking up freezing cold. Like that was just my life for 30 days. So for me, the detox sucked, but sobriety in itself didn't. I knew it was part of the process that was going to lead me to salvation. I was going to find my sanctuaries over time where I could protect myself. I was going to create a harbor where anger and resentment and shame and guilt weren't allowed to exist. They could float by. I could discuss them. I could heal through them. But they weren't going to be allowed to stay. They were going to have to thank you moving on. And that's how NLP was introduced into my life as the conduit to create that in me. I didn't think, and I still don't think, that the toughest part about sobriety is starting it. Because we can start it. We can go a day. We can go two. We can go three. It's the continuation. It's the continuation of stacking up those days until we get to seven, the 14, the 30, the 60, the 90, the 100, the 117. It's the continuation, the starting. Shit, we started and stopped countless times, thousands of times. We'd go a day or two without drinking and then start back up. We could have considered that day one and two a sobriety, but we didn't. We just we just considered that a day or two of non-intoxication. But it wasn't the beginning of our sobriety journey. It was just a few days without boozing. And inevitably, we go back to this thought, who am I if I don't drink? Who are you if you don't drink? Who are you if you don't do drugs? Who are you if you don't get angry at the silliest little things? Let me take that back. Things aren't silly. If you're having an emotional fluctuation around it, it's clearly important to you. So it's who am I to say it's silly? So who are you if you don't get angry? Who are you if you don't have shame? Who are you if you don't get jealous? Who are you if you don't have envy in your heart? Who are you if you're not a glutton? Who are you if you're not uh, someone who brings pain upon themselves, who talks negatively to themselves, who lashes out at other people for your, your lack of ability to you know, step into your power and, and say no? in the moment and instead you say yes and then later on you blame the other person for saying yes by saying some some stupid shit like I was just trying to make you happy but then in the process of making them happy you make yourself unhappy and then you get resentful toward them for them making you think you had a space where you could only make them happy and not also make yourself happy I no way I could repeat what I just said the toughest part isn't starting down this journey. It's continuing down this journey. I can get you enthused. I can inspire you, and then you can motivate yourself. And then 7 to 14, 30, 117 days later, are you still behaving in this way? Are you still embracing this material as a way of life? Yes, you can listen to me while you run and while you drive your car, but there are certain things that I really hope that you go back and you take some notes on. I want you to begin to give yourself credit for what you're doing. And I want you to stop once in a while and notice the small, beautiful things in life that you're able to witness now that you did not witness before when you were blacked out, when you were shaded, faded, and and foggy because of a life controlled and consumed by addiction. You can 
embrace addiction recovery and slow down. Because I know, I know, I know, guys, the time, the time thing becomes such, it, 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 it's almost, it becomes this, this ginormous, magnificent force. We're trying to make up for 22 years of addiction. We're trying to make up for 22 years of holding back the dam. And now here comes the floodgates and there was no control on it. And my God, I didn't even know I was harboring this inside of me. Must fix, must fix, must fix, must fix. I had that for so many years. It really wasn't until last year, right, that I was able to slow it down and say, wait, what else am I missing because I'm so hell-bent on my recovery or so hell-bent on getting my word out there and turning this into a business and, and, and really being a leading voice in the addiction recovery community because I'm coming at it with this open-heartedness where I just want to guide other people to manifest within themselves what I know is locked in there. I know you all have incredible potential. We've all had incredible potential. Maybe not the same opportunities, but absolutely incredible potential. I believe we're all born with the same potential to manifest manifest our highest sense of self. And however that externalizes, that's what we've put our attention and intention toward. But it's that it's the sense that we're seeking our highest sense of self and then understanding the convincer strategy we have around that. We have all of this, we have all of this amazingness in us. But are you noticing the small, beautiful things? Are you stopping and breathing? And instead of trying to rush, rush, rush through the episodes or rush, rush, rush through the recovery book or rush, rush, rush through the workout, you know, hoping at the end of it you feel healed, you're, you're more in touch with your feelings and your muscles have grown, sometimes it's just stop and embrace what you're doing in the moment. I walk up and down the street here in Huntsville and across the street there are very there are a plethora of squirrels and they love to jump back and forth in this set of 10 trees and they're tall and they're huge. And these squirrels are like, it's like watching fricking circus Cirque du Soleil. It's the things that these squirrels can do while chasing one another. And I stop and I watch just the, the playfulness of the squirrels and, and the hilarity of watching these little critters run around. And in this, stopping and breathing and taking in the joy of watching squirrels play, I notice an albino squirrel. Now, I've never seen an albino squirrel. I didn't even know albino squirrels could exist. It wasn't something I thought to Google or Wikipedia. But this is a freaking white squirrel. Not white, not like white like snow or a newborn baby seal pup or a polar bear, but it's it was white. Sure as hell it wasn't the brown I'm used to. And so I caught albino squirrel, and now my new tagline for stopping and noticing the minutia of beautiful things in life is, did I just have an albino squirrel moment? Did I stop long enough and watch these brown squirrels chase each other around that I noticed this camouflaged albino squirrel just sitting there, just chilling, while the other squirrels are running around playing reindeer games? This one was just being and it floored me that it exists and the folks I'm living with they knew it existed they they take walks they take breaths they stop and they notice these things I was so enthralled by one the fact that the albino squirrel exists but two that I noticed it that leaving Los Angeles has calmed me it hasn't made me less relentless 
it hasn't stopped my pursuit of expansion of myself, of my recovery, of my of my muscles, of my business, of my of the listenership. It hasn't stopped any of that. In fact, I have habituated relentlessness. And and now I'm embracing the idea of expansion. And even if I call a hundred edition recovery centers in a week and none of them give me the time of day, I know that somewhere out there there's one that will. And then I'll meet someone in that in that session, in that class, whose life will be changed because of something that I've said to them. And it's worth all of the no's to get to the yes. There's a relentlessness in this that I just will not I will not let abate. I'm going to get you guys out of here on this because like I told you, this was going to be a long one. And this is a lot of philosophy. This is a lot of rambling, nonsensical squirrelings of a madman. It's, you know, I, I love it. And when I say madman, it's in jest. I think there's a some TV show I remember seeing when I was a kid. And they were like, it's the rambling nonsensicalness of the madman. The madman puts the lotion on its skin. Partying. And this is something I want to make sure I cover before we get out of here. When I was in Vegas, I remember texting and my friend I was there with and making a point of saying, look, we will eat when we're hungry, we'll sleep when we're tired, and we'll party in between. And I remember really, you know, because this person clearly knows that I'm sober. They've been around for years of it. And it was like, there was no question to what I meant by party. It didn't mean we were going to go gamble. It didn't mean we were going to do drugs or drink. It just meant that we were going to have fun. And this idea of partying got bastardized by um, us at a young age, by people. At a young age, you sneak out of the parents' house, you make up some elaborate lie, or you just blatantly get permission to go over to your friend's house. Becky or Jimmy's throwing a party, and next thing you know, you're over there, and everyone's dancing and laughing, and the music's loud, and there's a funny movie on the background. Like, we used to have Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore playing in the background while we played trance music and had everyone over to our apartment in Gainesville to get drunk smoke pot, do blow, whatever. And so partying got, you know, got sucked in to this world of doing drugs and drinking. But partying doesn't have to mean intoxication. It means having fun. You can say, yeah, man, we were partying all night long. And if I know that you're living it within this world of sobriety and recovery, I'll know that it just meant that you were laughing. You're having a good time. You're standing around with a bunch of friends. You were listening to good music. Maybe you had a funny movie or something cool on in the background. Maybe you changed the lights so that it was a cool decorum. You know, there was there was some appetizers and finger foods, and everyone was standing around having a good time. But it didn't mean that people, somebody was in the bathroom doing the blow or there was someone doing keg stands on the balcony. It didn't have to mean that. Parting is an attitude. It's an energy you bring to a situation. It's the people that are in the room. It's the talking. It's the music. It's it's the programming. Anything can be a party. You can tell your kids, "Hey, we're gonna throw we're gonna throw a pizza party." Right? You tell your kids, "We're throwing a pizza party." You go to Chuck E. Cheese. There's some scary ass robotronic things up there singing some spooky ass songs, and maybe or maybe not, they're giving you the the side eye, thinking about how they could contemplate eventually being the Terminator Killer Mouse who takes over the entire city, and you know, eventually makes you the 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 robotatrons who have to play the music. I mean, I, I went a little bit berserk on that Chuck E. Cheese reference right there, but I bring it up because. We know what it's like to have a pizza party. We know what it's like to have an ice cream party with the kids. And the kids ain't nipping off a fucking bottle of vodka underneath the table. <laughs> Has a 
not so great parent, you might have been out there on the back patio with all the other parents drinking beers and trying to smoke cigarettes around the side of the house so the kids didn't see you. But that's how you chose to party. That's not how they were choosing to party. So step into that childlike enthusiasm. Embrace partying as something that you do without intoxicants. When you when somebody says, how am I ever going to party again without alcohol and drugs? The way I did it, I just went. I got myself some soda water, no ice, no straw, no fruit, and I just drank that. The bubbles helped recreate the idea of carbonation on the back of my throat, which is what I remembered about beer, and I moved on. It helped that I didn't go to my first sports bar for until September of 2017. That's when football season started. So I hadn't gone to a bar from January all the way to September. And then I started going to refuge recovery on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. So it would be sort of like that, that benchmark in the middle of the football Sunday. It's like, okay, I made it through Saturday, made it through college football, made it through my Gator games. I I co-created with my Gator fans that I was sober. And so they were all very supportive of that. And I sat there and drank my soda water and yelled and screamed at the TV like the rest of them. I just only had to pay $3 to do it and didn't have to, you know, stumble home with a lifetime supply of Popeye's chicken uh, in, in my hands so that I could black out for the next four days and just eat chicken that I chose to leave on my desk and may or may not have spoiled and made me be sick. That may or may not have happened 10 or 15 times. That's what my Sundays were when I was a drunk. Go buy a family-sized box of, of Popeye's chicken and eat it until Wednesday. And that was and then just get blasted drunk. Now I'm sober. Then I go watch some Sunday morning football. Watch a little bit of the afternoon games. Get in my car and drive to Refuge Recovery. Come home. Watch the night game. That's what I did that first football season. I still went out and partied, but I made sure I had pieces in place to keep me accountable, to make sure that something didn't trigger me. Again, I loved my sobriety, but I wasn't foolish enough to think that there's not a human side of me that could stumble my way into a drink. So I was very mindful of my behaviors. I was very mindful of my attitude. If I felt triggered, I'd leave. If I felt a craving that was too strong, I'd just go home and watch it there. But I wanted to be a part of the party atmosphere for the games, so I worked through the cravings in the moment. I, I understood the emotional ebbs and flows that would occur. And I worked through it as best that I could in the moment with the resources I had. Primary number one was just don't drink alcohol. Anything else that's happening, I can work through. But I didn't want it to be under the umbrella of drinking. So I just kept that away didn't do that, but I still partied with my friends. So when you ask yourself, how am I going to, who am I, am I if I don't drink? How am I ever going to party and be in my social circle without that? You will get used to it. It is a transition, but it does happen. You might have to step away from that circle of friends for three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And when you go back, if they're not welcome and inviting, then all they were was drinking buddies. There's other buddies to be made out there. There's other people to meet. There's other social circles to join. Join the tribe. Go to meetings and make friends and start running with people who you like to run. Shout out to Shane. right? Go play some music and insert yourself up the sober band. Shout out to Sam. Launch your own podcast and, and be amazing by sharing this information but doing it for dad. Shout out to Kaylin. Right, maybe you go and embrace your 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 family, and you go off and you do amazing, cool things with them that you used to never do, because you were always drunk on the weekends. Shout out to Lindsay. 
right? Maybe you finally step into your meant to be and you take on a career path that you know is something that that excites you and and it's exuberating to you. And so you become a tattoo artist. Shout out to Crystal, right? Maybe you become this amazing parent who, who, who seeks the best for their child and that's where you put your attention toward and you start to raise them with an emotional intelligence you didn't have uh, as a child. Shout out to Karen, right? It's Maybe you hit the gym in a way that you never even knew was capable of, and all of a sudden now you can become a professional bodybuilder, and that's just your side hustle. That's not even the main thing that you're doing with life because on uh, on another part of you is also working on your leadership and running meetings and, and creating your own tribe like I am. Shout out to Tim. Right? Maybe you're out there creating this amazing music company and you've got multiple locations and you're a leader and, and people look upon you and you, you're figuring out ways to budget things and grow the company even during COVID. Shout out to Miles. There's so much going on in the world worrying about who is going to want to embrace you from your old way of life. This old, your old drinking buddies. There's a whole freaking new world out there, people. It's waiting for you. It, it, it's it's been waiting for you and you know it's waiting for you. Step into your highest sense of self. Leave your comfort zone, which you're not comfortable in anyways, and get into your uncomfort zone because it's within that world that change occurs. I walked away from tens and tens and tens of friends and mostly I isolated myself from them by the end anyways. Then Whatever, go do your own thing. And I made up a whole nother group of friends. And I got more in touch with those who I'd left at Ball State and University of Florida. And I got closer to the ones from Orlando that, that kept me after my debacle there. And, and you know, and then I created my tribe and, and I've got the show and I go speak at places and I get to meet all these new people and go to young people in recovery. And I was shout out to Justine for getting her freaking bachelor's and then master's and doing all this dope stuff. I mean, it's like it, it never stops. I was almost hesitant to start shouting out the tribal members because I feel like I might be forgetting some of them and my brains only can move so fast, you know, but, you know, couldn't not shout out the newest members, Shane and Colby, who are just clicking through their 100 and 120 and 150 range, right? What about, what about, you know, shout out to Alan out there for stepping into something that is, is amazing and he's super curious about it and he's got a ton of things going on in his life, but he's like, you know what, my recovery is important to me. And, and, and growing within myself to heal and be a part of the family in a new, more dynamic way, that's important to me. And I'm going to start doing it. And I've, I've already been doing it, but now I'm going to do it with even more intention and attention. It never stops. It doesn't have to stop. Nothing about our life is meant to just be done. Right? Like life is amazing. And and it's beautiful, and you know shout oh can't forget Craig out there in England shout out to you bro, for playing snooker, and seeking a, a new more higher sense of self. It's there, it's always been there, and it's going to be a beautiful thing as you begin to embrace it. And I, I think that's I think that I don't think I've left anyone out of the immediateness of the of the founder circle. <laughs> At least there's another fifty of you that I've talked to over the phone. That, I, that I'm not shouting out because I've never asked you if I could say your name on the microphone, but you know who you are. And, and uh, those of you, and that's just in the last six months who've gotten on the phone. 
and, and, and gotten some coaching and gotten some teaching or gotten some training. I've shown up to one of my NLP classes. For all of you, you're seeking that highest sense of self. Be patient. Embrace it. Everything in life, according to Tony Robbins, is either through the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. If that's what humans are seeking in life, to either avoid pain or find pleasure, right? And the brain was built to help us survive, so we latch on to pain at a higher level than the pleasure because we want to remember the dysentery the water gave us or the poisonous and the sickness that the berries gave us, right? So we want to remember that, right? We got to remember the poison berries and keep those into a whole separate category. So then we, when we see the good berries, we're like, yeah, those are good. Do they taste good? I don't know, but at least they're not going to fucking kill me like those berries did ma. So we remember the painful moments because we want to avoid them. I say, let's make sure we're embracing the pleasureful moments as well. All of this is amazing. All of this is divine. To the 50 of you that have talked to me over the last few months, to the hundreds that have talked to me over the last couple of years, all of you are pursuing your more wise-minded, empowered self in your own way. I can't possibly know every single thing that's happening in your life. But when I talk to you, I hear the way you speak. I hear the Jesseisms coming out of your mouth. This doesn't fill me with an egotistical sense of pride, but it's more like that proud that a, a parent feels when they've been suggestive, suggesting to the kid for a year or two to say thank you, please, and you're welcome, and then out of nowhere they finally witness it happen without being without the child being nudged or cajoled, and they're like, oh, yes, yes, it worked. They are becoming a polite human. <laughs> That's the sense of pride I get in knowing that there's an impact, that there's, there's a beauty to our existence, that we all have the ability to grow. We can move through the fixed-minded healing that we need to encourage within ourselves, and we can, we can embrace and develop our growth mind. Five years, guys. Five freaking years. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I can't wait for the next five. I can't wait to see how all of you grow. I can't wait to see how the, the show becomes more impactful. I can't wait to experience how I uh, co-create with you a stronger, more unified, continuously unifying and, and ever-growing supportive tribe. I can't wait to see where the speaking engagements that I'll be diving into this year uh, take this entire um, idea, this movement, right? This movement that I want to create where where addiction comes out of the shadows and it's no longer stigmatized. It's just another mental health thing that's happening. And so let's work with people, not against people. And let, let's, let's introduce them new ways of experiencing the world so that they can release the trauma and the pain and the guilt and the suffering and the shame. Let's leave it in the past where it belongs. Let's take the lesson that it provided us and let's move forward with this new, this new resource. This new, more empowered sense of self that comes from knowing, okay, I took that lesson. Oh, wait, it's happening again. Awesome. Let's do it this way. Great. Did that work out? Mm, yeah. No. Awesome. Evaluate. Apply. Evaluate. Apply. Evaluate. Apply. Evaluate. Apply. Until you get to the desired outcome that you seek.
and then you raise the bar and you go further because hedonistic adaptation isn't your choice. It's just the way that it is. So embrace it and anchor in the things that are important to you. I get into my Santa Fe, which I call Sobria Fe because I got it for my sobriety in, in Santa Fe. And I'm still in love with that car because I anchored in when I first bought it that this car is mine. It's, it, 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 it's my new way of getting from point A to point B because of my sobriety. Because I don't drink and drive anymore. I can have a nice car. And I have taken care of that car and I've gotten all the oil changes and changed all the filters and gotten all the maintenance done on it when it was supposed to be done because, by God, I'm going to take care of that car like I take care of my body, like I take care of my soul, like I take care of my life, like I, like I prioritize other things in my life. It will have its priority. It will have its moment in the sun as well. I will not let that car fall into a state of disrepair. I've anchored that in and I still get inside that vehicle and I still love it. I have the little steering wheel warmer and the seat warmers and the little beepy things on my side view mirror so I know when someone's in my blind spot and I got a moonroof that stretches all the way to the trunk and I love it. Because it, 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 is, it is the external representation of the internal work. That's my convincer strategy in that regard. I earned that vehicle by getting sober, saving up enough money, and being able to afford it. And, and the hard work that it took to get to that point. And I, convin- and I continue to, to show myself that I'm earning that vehicle by maintaining it and embracing it and, and caring for it like uh, you would anything else that you spent $25,000 on. And this is a good way to wrap this all up. When I dropped that 20 G's on that Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, I decided on Saturday I spent the money on the Sunday. It wasn't the end. That was just the beginning of my investment in myself through the people who were going to teach me this stuff. And it wasn't enough for me to learn it and then just move on to something else. No, I embrace neuro-linguistic programming as my way of life because it made absolute sense to me that if you can understand how you create your reality in your head, then you can also understand how to shift it to a more desirable state. And I've taken all of these lessons that I've accumulated over these years, these 20,000 hours of dedication to my sobriety and recovery journey that's led me to NLP and to CBT and to family system therapies and, and, and has had me reading a couple hundred books and listening to a couple uh, thousand Blinkists and listening to thousands and thousands of podcast episodes. And then I, I take all of that and my brain just swirls it around like this perfect storm of curiosity and uh, purpose and passion. Passion and and boom, out it comes this show. Thank you all for being a part of it. Thank you all for listening for an hour and twenty minutes as I just sort of just word vomited all of this stuff that's been running through my head. Thank you for all of it. All of it. None 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 of this. None of this exists externally like it does without your participation, without the amount of time that you dedicate to being a part of this. Even if you're not actively in the Wise Mind Recovery Empowerment Tribe, you're, you're still in it vicariously because you listen to this show. You're in the greater good of the tribe. And you are appreciated. 
And even if you only like a post of mine on Instagram or leave a quick little comment or say something to me in the DMs about how much the show has helped you. And, you know, when I or Emily respond, you don't say anything back. That's all you really wanted to say was thanks, dude. And then you go on your merry way. It's appreciated. I feel the love and I send it back to you a millionfold. And for those of you who are on my live sessions and you see me in in, in, the, in the Victoria's Secrets dressing room of a <laughs> bedroom, for those of you who don't watch me on the Zooms or see any of my TikToks or Instagrams where I show myself, I've moved into uh, some family member's home and it, this used to be a uh, young, ch- young child girl's room who now has since moved away and lives in a different house, but the walls are still pink. And so it looks like I'm living inside of a Victoria's Secrets gift bag or, I don't know, dressing room or something. And for those of you who get to witness those things and you you participate and you lock in and you give of yourself and of your time and you embrace these teachings and, and and you create them in your own life, like the thanks is through the moon. Like I said the other day in our session, it's just... I never in a million years could have seen it being this impactful on me and others as the way that it has. And now it shows me that it can, it can be even more. And I don't take for granted where it's at now. And I don't brush it aside lightly thinking, well, what's going to happen whenever there's 10,000 people on a Zoom with me? I, I don't look at it that way because I, I want to embrace and, and notice the subtleties and notice the beauty of where it's at now knowing that with my relentlessness and with my expansion mindset that it will get to where I believe it will go because I will put my intention and attention there. And anything you guys want to create in your life, it works the same way. Where your intention goes, your attention flows. So if you're spitting out negativity and you're wondering why negative things seem to be happening around you, ask yourself, Where's your in, where's your intention and attention going? Because if it's leaning towards that away from that negative side of life, that's what your 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 reticular activating system is going to show you, and that's where your cognitive or your uh, comparison biases are going to be. Right? That's that's just the way that it works, and it's and now that you know it. Now that I've rung that bell. Right, and you 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 think about the cognitive distance you you might have about who you are versus who you want to be, right? When we when we think about that that compare and contrast mechanism that we have inside of ourselves, you know, when we think about the self sabotage that we used to be able to do, but now we can't because we've rung the bell and we're aware of it. All of this growth, all of these changes, stop for one minute and notice the albino squirrel. Because it will only change everything. I have said it countless times. If you would like to be more involved in this material, if you would like to know how you too can join the Wise Mind Recovery Empowerment Tribe, I'm just a DM away. I'm just a quick little email from Recovery at gmail.com. You can uh, jesse at jessemogul.com. Wherever it is, or whatever you're thinking. If you want to be more involved, there are countless ways we can make that happen. And even if you just want to still just be on the other side of this microphone and listening to what I talk about, I'll feel blessed knowing that you're there. And it will never take you for granted.
just like I don't ever take my sobriety for granted. Because I'm sitting here right now holding in my hand this Celebrate Recovery chip. And this little tiny piece of metal represents 60 months. It represents five years. It represents dedication and hard work. It represents so much. 157 bazillion seconds, 2.6 million minutes, 40, almost 44,000 hours, 1,826 days. This, this little trinket of a medallion, so small, so beautiful in my hand. Not necessarily because of what it's made of, or even for what it says on it. Before my mind can project back to me for what it means for me to be holding this, for what it means for me to have gotten to this day. And there's another day tomorrow, and another day after that, and another day and another day. This isn't the end of anything. It's the continuation. But newer, more empowered and enlightened Jesse, he stops. He sees the albino squirrel. He realizes that there are millions upon millions of people who would love to hold a 30-day chip in their hand, let alone a five-year chip in their hand. And I don't take this lightly. And I'll hold on to this and this will be a part of my journey for the rest of my life. Thank you, Past Jesse. Thank you for making that decision on January 12th. Present Jesse knows for a fact that he has gone above and beyond anything that you could have hoped recovery and sobriety could be. And the future, Jesse, I got you too, brother. I know what you're hoping for. And I also know it's up to me in these moments to take massive actions to create it. And I'll hold on to this medallion and I'll think of Ron, Rico, Sunshine, Davis. And how he gave me my very first hug in my sobriety and recovery journey. We're nearing a year since his passing. And I'll never forget how happy he was for me when I told him I was going to be sober. And there wasn't one one hint, not one mention of, well, you better be careful. Lots of people, lots of people relapse. A lot of people recidivism. A lot of people go back. It never came out of his mouth. And when I say never, I absolutely positively will tell you he did not say that to me. The energy he showed me was that I know who you are deep down inside, Jesse, and if this is who you want to be, then this is who you can become. You've already made the decision to do it. Now it's just about taking action toward it. Every single one of you have already made the decision to change your lives for the better. You've already made the decision that you want this. You've already made it. 
now take action toward it. Every single day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To everyone who listens and to those who haven't even found me yet. I'm blessed to be alive. I'm blessed to have you in my tribe. I'm blessed to have you as listeners. There is nothing short of blessed beyond compare that I feel right now. Here's to another 150 episodes, another 500 episodes. Let's do this till I'm 87. It's going to be amazing to see where this journey takes us. I'll be there. And I know you will too. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow today. Today, today is the best day of my life because I woke up and I wake up and I fall asleep sober. Shout out to you, sunshine. Thank you for supporting me at the beginning. And I bless that your essence is supporting me now. And as always, my friends, glow on. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.